between the middle or right when the project was supposed to really start off and really go into higher gear, it's that shift that you make from being good to great where most people, they fail. And that's because of this, they didn't vet properly. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks. And well, today we will be talking with Preddy Tawari. Preddy, first of all, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing fantastic. And thanks for having me on the show again. Had a lot of fun last time. Hope we able to provide a lot of value and uh, so glad to be able to do it again, man. Absolutely. So you haven't done so already. Make sure you listen to Preddy's first episode. Just search Joe Fairless, Preddy Tawari, and you will find that interview. I actually... <laughs> was the one that interviewed Freddie, and we had a great conversation about his real estate investing. But today, since it is Skill Set Sunday, so we're going to talk about a specific skill that us as real estate investors can use to improve and expand our business. And the skill set that we're going to talk about today is going to be around mindset. So the topic is going to be the ideal mindset that you're going to need to have in order to thrive as an entrepreneur in general, in today's competitive market. But before we get started, a little bit about Preddy. He started as a buy and hold investor in college and eventually transitioned into becoming a real estate developer who focuses on condo conversions. He has over $100 million in real estate assets currently and is based in Boston, Massachusetts. You can say hi to him at thetawarigroup.com and that link will be in the show notes of this episode. So, Tawar, before we dive into the topic of today, can you give us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Absolutely. I think you did a fantastic job with the bio. My interest, and people ask me, Freddie, what do you do? Because I do so many things. I have my own uh, investment group where I invest in startups. I have a real estate development firm. But I think that's what I do in like one sentence. I find underappreciating assets and I make them and turn them into appreciating assets, whether it's real estate, trying to do condo conversions or scaling a small business. Last time we talked about that a little bit, scaling a small business that is kind of on its last legs or has potential, but hasn't really found their momentum. And I like to go in there and see, hey, what can we do to make this profitable? And that's my biggest passion is what I love to do. I feel like when I do that, it just makes me come alive and I really enjoy that. So turning understanding assets into performing assets is what I say in one sentence. All right. Thanks for sharing that background. So as I mentioned, we're going to talk about mindset today. And I think a good place to start, because I remember during our first conversation, when I asked you how you find your deals, you actually mentioned that you do door knocking. And I know, at least for me personally, and maybe other people share this as well, but I think a lot of people, myself included, may be a little fearful of doing that. And obviously, since you do do that, that's kind of proof of your powerful mindset. So maybe we can begin by kind of walk us through what allows you to have that very outgoing personality that's willing to go out there and actually knock on people's doors and face all that rejection. And and more specifically, what advice would you give to someone who that maybe like me is completely turned off the idea and, and doesn't want to do it for those anxiety and fear reasons. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a fantastic question. So thanks for asking that. I think the, the biggest thing about in-person communication or door knocking, and I think where the kind of the mindset that I always go into it, it's not confrontational. So I think if we frame it, Hey, I'm on one side, I'm the business person trying to buy a house and the other person is on the other side we're working against each other. And I think that mindset causes anxiety because you think it's confrontational. And I've experienced that too. You live in a place where someone's trying to buy something from me and I feel like I'm trying to sell it for a price that I want and they want another price and we're going back and forth and there's this negotiation and it's power thing. And I can see for some people that has merit, but I never approach it that way. For me, it's, hey, we're on the same team. And I think that that approach has allowed me to feel less anxious about approaching people for deals because I go in and it's like, hey, I wanted to see if you know anyone in the area or you'd be interested in selling your home. I'm more than happy to help you out with that process. And the way I approach it is they have a problem that I can solve. So I'm not selling them anything. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of salespeople, they're generally a little bit anxious because they're like, man, I'm trying to sell something. And because I'm selling something, we're on the opposite side. They need to buy what I have and I need to trick them into buying it. But if you don't go in that mindset, if I'm like, man, I can generally help you. You have something and I can help you in that process, then we're on the same team. So I've always approached that even with when I'm buying other companies, small businesses, and I'll go in and like, hey, what are your bottom line problems? I think, okay, I can help you with those things. And in real estate, it's actually very common. When you talk to a lot of the owners who are not listing their property on MLS, some people are hoarders. A lot of when Boston, that's very common. So they need someone to help them out. A lot of people don't want to go through the whole legal due diligence process. So what I do is I help them find a lawyer or I'll take over all the legal fees. They don't like working with brokers, so I'll pay for the, all the broker fees. So stuff like that. And when you put it that way, it's like, hey, man, I'm here to help you. And that way, I don't feel any anxiety because it's not like I want something from them that's actually going to hurt them. It's kind of this like Wolf of Wall Street mentality. Hey, I'm trying to get someone to buy shares that are kind of useless and then I win and it's all that. But when you do that, it all, I think even for me, I would feel a little anxious knocking on someone's door, trying to get them to give me a product or sell them a product and where I know I'm getting a windfall and they're not. So I always approach owners in a way where I know they're going to benefit tremendously from this and I'm also going to benefit. So since we're on an even 
playing field and we're on the same team. That's my number one thing. I always tell that any type of relationship, I'm like, guys, we're in the same team. And that way I take the anxiety out tremendously. And I think that mindset alone is really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think because I haven't heard it from that particular perspective. Most of the time people say you got to just expose yourself to it and eventually you'll get over it. But I like your advice there. And essentially don't just keep the same mindset and just expose yourself to it until you get over it. But just think about the actual situation differently. And as you said, it's not a battle. It's not a competition. You're actually trying to help them. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's huge. If you think about it from like an analogy standpoint, if I just come approach you on the street, like, hey man, I want five bucks. I want it right now. And then I try to swindle you from the, like, it's a competitive approach. If people are trying to sell cars or something, it's very combative. I was always really big on a negotiation strategy. And I think a lot of the negotiation strategy we have, especially in the US from the 80s and the 90s, is very combative. They have like tricks and things you should say and schemes. And maybe they've worked and I'm sure they have because there might be some anecdotal evidence for it. But I was like, what if you don't do that? What if I approach you? I'm like, hey man, what do you need help with? Hey, you're looking for something to help you. And then I help you. And then you're like, oh yeah, here you go, man. Here's something in return. And that way I'm not asking for a favor. I'm not tricking you. I'm not misling you. And then I don't feel awkward asking you to give me something in return because it's just fair. So I think approaching it from kind of like friends, but really deep down, knowing that I do chronic conversion development now in, in East Boston, where I talked about last time and kind of a hot topic. And a lot of developers, they're not able to secure permits. And my team is able to do that fairly well, fairly easy, fairly quickly. And it's because the people there like me. And the reason they like me, I don't have any tactics or skills is because I'm invested in their future. So if I will make sure that they have a place to go, they're happy, their family's there, it's secured. I make sure that the PNS is as long as they need in order to get to a new home. And sometimes they're like, hey, I haven't been able to secure a mortgage yet for my new home. Can I use some of the PNS money to put that forward? I was like, yeah, why not? We can figure something out. So it's beneficial. And then, of course, then the neighborhood isn't going to look at me from a poor standpoint because I'm there, their team. I'm helping them what they need. And they help me back. And so I don't really feel anxious at all anymore because I'm approaching from that standpoint. It's not because I'm ultra confident guy that's like all that stuff. I mean, of course, that's part of it, but that's not the advice I would give. I would say, change your mindset around it and think that you're helping someone when you're doing sales. Like when I sell products on a supplement company, because I believe it, I know that I'm going to help someone with the products I'm going to give. So it's easier for me to get them to buy the product because I think I'm helping them. And I know I'm helping them as opposed to, hey, buy my product. Here's a flash sale. Here's this, here's that. To so just convince them to buy. And that creates word of mouth and, and a buzz for you as well, especially in the real estate where the market's fairly kind of small and people kind of know you in the neighborhood and the lawyers and attorneys will know you and all that stuff. It doesn't take long for that to really catch up. Okay. So we talked about one particular mindset. It's kind of based off of a personal question of mine, but I'm sure other people relate to that as well. And essentially that was, it's not confrontational. It's you helping other people. And that's the kind of mindset you need to approach when you're going into negotiations or when you're looking for deals. What's another top mindset trait characteristic that we need in today's market to be successful? I think a lot of it, and this will relate down to real estate, you're going to have to knock a lot of doors and you're going to have to sometimes hear rejection. And this, this is kind of big reaction to the first thing I said, but it's okay sometimes to be a little bit outcome in, independent which you don't have to tie yourself to like, if something doesn't happen, I know in the back of my mind that I'm going to be okay. If the deal doesn't happen or if a negotiation falls through, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to find something else that's going to be fully good or better or down the line, I will. And I think that mindset changes the way I approach negotiations because if the deal's not good, I'm okay to walk away from it. I've seen a lot of younger developers because you get to start in the process, you're a developer. 
and they get very tied to the project, and it's hard not to. Like a lot of here, for instance, we go through the permit process, it takes a year, you got to secure this permit and that permit, you got to talk to this politician, and so it's a very long process, so it's very easy to get married to it, I don't blame anyone for it. But sometimes the deal just isn't good, and it's okay to walk from it. And the reason why we're afraid to walk from it, because we think, hey, a door closed, and because the door is closed, I'm not going to be able to open any doors anymore. I'm going to stuck in this hallway. All these doors are closed. I won't find anything again anymore. And that makes people really desperate and needy. And in desperation and in need, it's probably the worst emotion you can have in your life because that makes you take incorrect decisions. So I think being outcome independent is another thing. And that's going to help with the first question you had too. Is I don't mind knocking on doors. And sometimes people say no, because it's okay. At some level, it's a numbers game. And I know I'm going to be fine regardless of whatever happened. Even if I heard a no, where I am right now hasn't changed. But because I didn't have the property before, I didn't have the deal before. And if they say no, I still don't have the deal. So I'm actually never worse off. If I was worse off after hearing no, then I'd be like, well, okay, that's risky. But it's not risky at all because I'm not losing anything. So asking and going for things in life, most of the time asking a question or like, hey, would you sell your house to me? Whatever. It's a zero risk on almost all rewards type of play. So I really commend people to do that. And that being outcome independent, you can really foster that growth because you really believe and you know that it's going to be okay and you don't have to be tied to a deal. And we hear this a lot, especially a lot of flippers. And I say young developers because you kind of get lured and you see all the money that a lot of developers are making and they get very tied in the project and they forget sometimes it's not a good deal anymore. So it's okay to walk. And that's another mindset process that comes from being outcome independent. Yeah, that term outcome independent reminds me of a concept that me and Joe have talked about a lot on the podcast, which is 50-50 goals, essentially, because I know best of your listeners have heard this before, but you set a goal and 50% of the success is based off of, did you achieve that specific goal you set out to do? And then 50% is based off of, did you identify some lesson by going through that process that you'll be able to use to better yourself in the future? So kind of similar to what you were saying, when you're going into a negotiation Obviously, you want them to say yes, but if they say no, one thing you mentioned is it's really low risk, very, very high reward. But also, if they say no, you can go back like, all right, is there something I could have done differently to make them say yes? If the answer is no, then it is what it is. If the answer is yes, then you can identify what that reason is and then move forward and get that next deal. And so in a sense, that no was actually successful because it helps you get that next deal. 100%, man. That's math when it comes to time as well. I think we all have a finite amount of time. And so I think failing is good. And we've heard that a lot. It's good to fail. You know, you learn from it. Yeah, failing is good as long as you learn from it. And I always say, if you're going to fail, make sure, and this is known in Starbucks, but try to fail as quickly as you can. So a lot of times in our life, we know that something is not going to be good for us, but we try to extend it. But what I would always do is do everything possible right in the beginning to actually force failure to see if I fail. Because that way I get it out of my way and I can learn quickly. So that's another thing about learning from failure. Well, if, if it took you a year to learn it from a mistake, if you could have learned that in one month, then that's wrong. You should have learned it in one month, right? And I'll give a quick story standpoint, but a lot of times, for instance, I'm running a company and we start selling products. And one of the biggest things that can happen when you sell products is that your supplier cannot handle the demand. And people know this, and this happens a lot on Kickstarter, right? So people start a Kickstarter project, they raise like a lot of money all of a sudden, and then they can't meet demand and the whole thing collapses, right? So if you know that going in, what do I do? The first thing I do is when I make my first order, I go to my supplier and say, hey, instead of giving me like 100 of these units, give me 20,000 and how quickly can you do it? And I say, that's what I want. Although I'm not going to pay for all of that because I want to see their reaction. And a lot of times the suppliers are going to say, well, we can't do that. We don't have the capacity. 
So I could have just known that by talking and asking them right from the bat, then waiting for like seven months by the time we have to make a 20,000 unit order. And then we ask the supplier and they're like, sorry, we can't do it. I could have known that before. And this goes with real estate, working with the right contractors. A lot of times I'll ask them about their schedule and I'll say, hey, I have a property. Can you do this right now? I create situations that will actually most likely is where you can scale instead of waiting. Well, this can go wrong if we scale. That can go wrong. Well, do it now. You can just simulate the situation and force failure and get the answer as soon as possible. So that's the one big thing that I do all the time. If I know that there is room where things can go wrong, which there always are, I try to simulate that situation and I try to see how the people or the things which could lead to failure, how they react right now instead of waiting for six, seven months where the stakes are really high. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that example. That's going to be my next question. So you gave two examples. One was a supplier situation where right now you need 500 orders to get started, but your projections are saying you need 20,000 in the future. Then you're going to go up front and ask for those 20,000 to see how they handle it. You also gave the example of the contractor. And let's say right now you need a project done in a month, but down the line at some point, something might go wrong, or you might have a project that needs to move quicker and to ask them, hey, I need the project done in a week or whatever when you actually do fail in either one of those situations or a different example, what's the next step? Do you just go to another supplier and another contractor and ask them the same thing until someone says yes? What if no one can actually fulfill that? What's the approach from there? The first thing is I find someone that can fulfill it. And if no one can fulfill it, then I have a big problem. That means that the company can never succeed. If there's no one in the world or in a market that I could ask that could ever fulfill it, that means that I just don't do it, right? especially in real estate, a lot of deals sound really good on paper, but then you're like, well, it, they're only good if you can get certain points or interest rates with a bank, but then you ask all the banks and no one can give you that interest rate, then it's not profitable anymore. Then you just don't do the deal. So I think that's the big thing. And all the issues that you will face, and we can all list them out because you listen to your podcast, for instance, there's so many examples of things that have gone wrong where people, they actually tell you, so you don't need to be very experienced to know all the things that can go wrong. You can listen to your podcast and there's so many examples that people have provided that are real life examples, right? Me giving you this example. So you can test it out. And, you know, I give the example of a contractor, huge issue. A lot of contractors are not responsive. They don't show up to project sites. Well, you don't have to wait until you start a project and secure the project. And then all of a sudden you're taking bank financing where you have to pay every month and the contractor doesn't show up and then you're just kind of screwed. So the best way to do it is it's very easy to test someone's availability. You just call the contractor every day, have them do different tasks, have them do different things, tell them to go to different sites, tell them to help you out with inspections before you close. And then you can see how responsive he or she is. And of course, it's not always going to be a foolproof method, but more likely than not, I think most of the failures that I had in the beginning, one thing that I did wrong, I waited a long time until I failed. And it was like usually in the middle or right when the project was supposed to really start off and really go into higher gear. It's that shift that you make from being good to great, where most people, they fail. And that's because of this, they didn't vet properly. So proper vetting is very important. So now the change that happened, that I still fail a lot. And people are like, Freddie, you didn't do this project. You didn't do that project. You, you said you're going to do this. Because all my failures are at the beginning. They're not in the middle anymore. And that allows me to have a huge portfolio right now that I'm able to speak to you on the podcast. Because if this kept happening, where all my failures, like most people, always in that little growth phase, right from good to great, and then they, they can't handle it. But for me, it's I don't even start. And when I start, it's definitely going to be great because I've already crossed most of the hurdles that are going to stop me from being from good to great. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And I really like that interest rate anecdote that you gave. If you're looking for a deal and you need a certain interest rate and you're not going to get it, then you just don't do that particular deal or you need to figure out another way to do that particular deal. So that really resonated with me. So as it relates to the mindset that we need in order to thrive as a real estate investor, as a 
general entrepreneur in today's competitive and fast evolving market that we haven't talked about already? Yeah, one thing that's huge and that I've implemented in my life, and I've seen some other CEOs talk about it, very valuable, is that you don't have to be fantastic at everything. We talked about it a little bit last time, but I have actually have come up with a rule, which is the 75%, 70% rule, which basically means if someone can do a task that I'm doing in my day-to-day, 65 70%, it's okay. I'll just outsource it. You as a CEO or as a developer, you want to be able to free up your time to do big level strategy things. And I think we think, oh, well, I need to do all the small things all the time. You're so deep working in your business when you should work on your business. And that's a big mistake I see a lot of people make, especially developers. They kind of stay in the same game. They do their buy and hold or do a fix and flip and they stay in fix and flips for all their life, which is fantastic. It's awesome if you can go to the career. But I know a big question a lot of people have, man, how can I scale? How can I get to the next level? Like, how can I, when I was younger, Freddie, I was just doing really small rental, really cheap and cost efficient. And how can I, how is I now developing real estate development in Boston? It's because I recognize that I have to free my time at every point. Everything that I can outsource right now, I do. And there's really cost effective ways to really do that through a virtual system. There's so many ways to do that. You have to be open to that. But also, if you're not good at any something, it's not the end of the world. And that's really where you should leverage other people. So people say, well, who should I hire? And usually people hire people just like them because they like those people because they're the same, but then you guys are both doing the same thing. So like for instance, you know that you'd get more leads by knocking on more doors and it's, you're super uncomfortable with it. Like it's not your thing. Well, that's not the end of the world. You can train a team, find a group of guys, find a group of college students or someone that's excited that wants to maybe wants to learn from you because you have all this wealth of knowledge. I do this right now. Cause I can't knock on so many doors anymore. So I build a list from the territory that I want to target. And I have a couple of guys that they come to me, they found me on some website and I'm mentoring them. And one of the things they do is they knock on doors because I can knock on 500 doors every week. And so they do it for me. So it's okay to not know everything. Don't let it stop you. And if you're the CEO and an entrepreneur, always work on your business, not in your business. Cause that is the number one way you're never going to be able to really scale. If you're doing the mining things, like you should always be doing the bigger things. And my concept is if I'm not good at something, I fire myself all the time. A lot of CEOs, they fire their employees, they fire everyone, but they don't fire themselves. So I always fire myself. I'm like, hey, I'm not so good at this. I fire myself and I free up my time to do other things. Just to add to that, and you kind of already hit on it. Obviously, if you aren't good at something, then outsource it. But then you also mentioned if you don't like to do something, you could probably also outsource that too instead of just not doing it at all. Right, 100%. Yeah. You asked earlier about the global economy and the internet. And I think we should use advantage of that. Like, like back in the day, it was maybe harder to find people to assist you with. But nowadays, even for my real estate, we think real estate is a more analog business, so we can't use people online or freelancers or virtual assistants. You can definitely use them. So use the global economy. Use the internet to help you scale. And use the internet to help you do things that you're not good at. So especially now, I've built a whole team that is just, being outsourced where I qualify leads and they're all kind of based overseas with virtual assistants that helps me vet deals and go through more because I realized my deal flow was too big for me to look at every single thing. So I have other people look at them and it's very, very, very cost effective and they're happy because they're getting a job. You're happy because are they as good at managing and looking at deal flow as I am? No, but I can train them, right? So I think it goes back to your earlier question. The first thing you said is like, Use the digital economy to your advantage when you're trying to do this. And it, it's, it's relatively inexpensive and it will actually make you more money down the line. So for people who think, hey, I want to reduce costs, you're actually increasing costs by hiring yourself because you're not the cheapest source of labor. Well, Prady, I'm really glad that I got to speak with you again. Again, powerful advice. 
specifically to the mindset that we need to have as investors to thrive in today's global digitized economy. I just want to just kind of quickly go over kind of the four mindset factors that we discussed. First, as it relates to essentially getting over that fear of rejection and anxiety, whether it's negotiating or door knocking or kind of whatever. And the, the mindset shift is to not think of it as a confrontation or a battle or a competition where one person wins and one person loses. And instead, go in with the mindset of genuinely wanting to help people and thinking that you're both on the same team and are trying to add as much value to each other as possible. So that was number one. Number two, which is that if something bad happens, which is obviously eventually going to happen to everyone, the mindset is to not just sulk and give up, but to realize that you're going to be okay and you are going to eventually find something else as well as you're going to learn from whatever that bad thing that happened. And the word that the term that you used was being outcome independent. I also mentioned the 50-50 goals as well. And something that I really like too, when it comes to the example of door knocking and searching for deals, there's really, really not putting anything at risk. And if someone says no, you're not going to be losing anything. Whereas on the other hand, there's really nothing but upside and reward. So that's number two. Number three, which is probably my favorite one, which is not only learn from your failures, but try to fail as as quickly as possible. And you gave a few examples on that, as well as kind of your, your philosophy behind that, which is essentially if you are going to fail at something and it takes you a year to do it, that's a waste of time and a waste of money. Whereas if you could have failed at that within a week or a month, then technically you can try 12 extra things before the year ends, as opposed to just trying that one thing and failing and having to start over again. So that was number three. And then number four was that you don't need to be fantastic at everything and you don't have to like everything in your business. And then you talked about your 70%-ish rule, which is if someone can do a task 70% as well as you, then you're going to go ahead and, and outsource that task. And you also mentioned the reason why you're outsourcing that task is so that you can focus on the big level strategy and you are the CEO. So you're going to be working on your business instead of in your business. And that's really the only way to expand and scale. And then I really liked when you said that people get fired from their jobs all the time, or they are firing people from their jobs, but people never really fire themselves. Obviously not saying fire yourself from the entire business, but fire yourself from one particular role within that business and bring on someone else to, to do that for you. So again, Preddy, I really appreciate you coming on today. Great advice. Um, Thank you to everyone who listened. Have a best ever day, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.